In 2011, CCBR launched a nationwide end the killing plan. And here we are 10 years later in 2021 to take stock of where we've come from and the projects that we've done, the activism that we've done, the outreach that we have accomplished this year in 2021. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the program. And with me again are two colleagues of mine, uh, our trusty co-host, who is here every every episode. Cam, good to see you, sir. Good to be back. Nice. And our colleague, Jonathan Van Maren, you'll re rem remember him from a number of episodes that we've done in the past. Episode number three, he's our very first guest on the show. Um, which is the, the Seeing is Believing episode where we talk about the use of abortion victim photos. Episode 30 and 31, we talked to him about his latest book. I think it's your latest book, Jonathan. Um, mm -hmm. Patriots, the untold story of Ireland's pro-life movement. And then episode 49, Tracing Abortion in the West back to the sexual revolution. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Yeah, it's always awesome to be here. Yeah, uh, this is going to be good. Uh, so for our listeners, just to kick things off, as you know, the podcast is part of a larger organization. Uh, it's a project of the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform, an organization that the three of us work for and that focuses mainly on on the street, streets activism, on going to college campuses, universities, going to high schools, downtown areas, door to door, and engaging with the public on the topic of abortion with effective and winsome pro-life apologetics and the use of abortion victim photography. If you want to learn more about that, episode three with Jonathan Van Maren, Seeing is Believing. Um, so yeah, the, the podcast is part of a, a, a larger goal, a larger vision, and a vision really that's captured in the conversation we had with Blaze Elaine on enacting a theory of change mm. in the pro-life movement. I don't have that episode on the top number on the top of my head, but you can find that on our website, prolifeguys.com, or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, just search Blaze uh, and you'll you'll find that episode. Um, it's part of a larger goal of, of reaching Canadians, of reaching pro-lifers with effective and winsome apologe apologetics, time-tested and street-tested apologetics, and the tactics that they can use to change minds, save lives, and transform the culture and, and be that effective advocate in the area that they are in. And so what we want to do, we did this last year, we were doing it this year, and God willing, we'll continue to do it year after year. As the final episode of every year, we want to take a, a look back and give a year in review. What's happened at the podcast, which is something you probably know if you've been with us on this journey so far, but more importantly, what have we done at CCBR? What has been accomplished? Um, we want to hold ourselves accountable to you, but also give you um, the listener, give you the financial partner give you the the activists that we work with on the streets and you know throughout the country and uh, our fellow colleagues an idea of what has been taking place uh, not just you know I hear the podcast but across Canada with the the work that we've been doing um, both with full-time and part-time members of CCBR but also with activists across the country and in, in the various against abortion groups that they're a part of and so Kim I don't know if there's anything that I think that, that we should touch on before diving in, but if you have a comment, now's the time, sir. Yeah, this 
I, I find this episode, Peter, so valuable because for a lot of people, it can at times feel like we're spinning our tires, especially here in Canada, where we look at our neighbors to the south, we see the incredible progress that so many of the states are making politically. We even see some of the, the educational wins that are getting published by various pro-life groups down there. And at times it can be frustrating to look at the pro-life movement in Canada. We've got friends around the world involved with different pro-life movements, um, different pro-life organizations. And at times when we're entering into this Christmas season, it can be a, a daunting task to reflect on what has been accomplished and what are the outcomes of those actions. It can be kind of intimidating to say, like, is the world any more pro-life? Did I actually make any kind of difference this year? And this isn't about CCBR um, fluffing our, our tail feathers and, and just boasting about what we were able to get done, but rather trying to project and, and help people understand that change is happening. Change is already happening. Change, um, Lord willing, will continue to happen through the efforts of incredible pro-life um, volunteers, activists, financial supporters like yourself. Um, and so this will hopefully be a message of hope for each and every one of you that things are changing, even in Canada, um, but especially around the world, as we've documented throughout the year, through our Pulse episodes and whatnot. And, and who better to talk about the change that's happening in Canada, the impact that we at CCB are, are, are observing on street corners and on doorsteps, as you mentioned, Peter, um, than our colleague Jonathan Van Maren, who, as head of the communications department for our, our organization, is the guy who collects and, and processes all of the data that we work through and that we, we achieve, by God's grace, through the year. Love it. All right. So before we get into the, the, the data and the, the stories and the numbers from this year, Jonathan, I know there are many listeners who aren't quite familiar with our organization, CCBR. We've been in existence for quite some time, but have been um, enacting the, the end the killing plan since 2011. So could you give us a brief history of CCBR, some of the numbers, perhaps, you know, how the end the, end the killing plan started, some of the goals you had in mind, and sort of walk us through the journey to where we are today? Yeah, so so as you mentioned, uh, the the genesis of the end the killing plan is is in 2011 uh, when I got hired in January or hired a couple of months earlier, but started work in January of 2011. There was five of us at an office there in Calgary. Stephanie Gray was the executive director, and I was hired out of Simon Fraser University to start working on this end the killing plan, looking at the history of social reform. And so that year, we spent basically nine months uh, researching social reform, hammering out a strategy for the country. It's important to emphasize here that while there was political groups, uh, while there was many regional right to life groups, there was no group with a national strategy to impact public opinion on abortion. So we didn't have much to go by in terms of comparison. We were really starting off on our own. And the first thing we needed was proof of concept. So at the end of 2011, we pitched the plan to the collective Canadian pro-life movement at one of the, the at a major conference in Calgary, as major as you can get in a movement that's as, as relatively as small as ours when you compare it to the American movement. Uh, and then we set a date for, for the following year in 2012 to launch a cross-country tour uh, called the New Abortion Caravan, which I don't need to discuss in, in detail because we we swapped stories about uh, that, that trip on a previous podcast. Uh, 2012 was really us unveiling 
uh, the plan to the country. We went all the way from from Vancouver to Ottawa. Uh, We did activism all the way along the way. And we took ourselves from an organization that was doing activism in the West, but specifically in Alberta, to an organization that suddenly was exposing the reality of abortion all the way across the country. And I would say 2011, 2012, 2013, we were really focusing on, on proof of concept, as in we knew that our projects worked on the ground because we had all these anecdotes of changed minds and saved lives. Uh, I was privileged to meet a baby who was scheduled to be aborted at the Kensington Clinic very early on. So we had the anecdotal evidence, but the next step for that was, well, how do we scale up? How do we ensure that we're, we're taking all these individual stories and creating these trends across society and across Canada. And so we began to focus first on proving which projects worked. Uh, Second, actually getting polling data for what the impact of these projects were. So our first big uh, data set was we hired a, a polling agency in 2013, and we basically focused on one riding in Ontario uh, with 110,000 people in it. And, and we kind of uh, we sought to reach them every way we could from door to door to postcards to trucks to high school choice chain, which is, of course, our project where we show abortion victim photography and handheld signs on the street. And then we pulled before and after to measure the impact of that project. Uh, and I, I have some of the numbers here. I've gone through my reports in years past. And that very first uh, data set, uh, we had 42.3% of respondents said that the images made them feel negatively about abortion, and I think it's important here to say we actually asked them if they'd seen a picture to ensure that we were we were only testing the impact of our project and no other um, no other uh, pro life projects they might have interacted with, and we we cut the number of people who felt positively towards abortion by between eighteen and twenty two percent. So that was the first polling set that we did, which we were very encouraged by. I'm always. I'm very optimistic that there's a lot we can do. I'm always quite pessimistic about how much things scale up. So I was really, really encouraged by this data. And then so after that, we began to really focus on uh, calculating the macro, like how many views of abortion victim photography do we have? We've got the first polling data sets here that indicate what it means to reach somebody with a view. This does not quantify conversations, something Cam will get into later. This just quantifies somebody seeing one of the pictures. And then so from there, we managed to scale up to 2015, where we reached 2 million views of abortion victim photography. Uh, We delivered a million postcards and and, and combining those postcards with our other projects, it's a minimum of 2 million views. This is just assuming that only one person sees each postcard. But of course, because the media was covering us almost weekly, uh, they broadcast our images to many, many more. So I, I, this is a minimum number. 2016, we held we held uh, steady at 2 million. Uh, and then we did a jump in 2017 to 4 million views. So just a little bit of inside baseball for those listening. What we like to do at CCBR is set an extremely ambitious goal uh, to push the limits of the organization to reach as many people as possible because we do see abortion as an emergency. Uh, and then build the infrastructure and ensure that we can sustain that momentum, uh, do that for a year or two. And once we have what we need to make the next leap, then we push on upward. So we did 4 million views until 2017-18, uh, made a jump in 2019 to just over 4.5 million views. And then, as we've said before, and we said uh, last year, uh, 2020, what we were planning to do another another big cross-country tour, and, and we were hoping, God willing, to reach 6 million views. We were confident that we had the infrastructure to make that jump, 
But then, of course, COVID-19 hit. And so now we've been holding steady at 4 million views until the pandemic restrictions and and the various uh, the various government restrictions lift enough for us to really let it rip and start expanding the organization and take the next big jump towards uh, growing our reach. Okay, perfect. So uh, before we get into some of the hard numbers, actually, before we get into that, I remember 2015, you talked about the media mm-hmm. um, showing our images as well. Usually when the media shows the the postcards and the literature that we uh, deliver, they blur everything out except for you know just a few little black spots in the corners. Um, but I remember six o'clock news on CBC in Toronto, um, no blurring whatsoever. They showed our image to, I, I don't know how many, however many people have watched six o'clock mm-hmm. news uh, on CBC Toronto. And that's not counted in the numbers, which is, which is fantastic because. That was, that was people. the, that was the very first time I was hoping a lot of people were watching the CBC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, ex- that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't had that wish since, um, so, so we, you talk about, you know, 2 million views, 4 million views. We, our, our goal is 6 million views. And, and just a minute, I'm going to ask Cam to sort of break down what that 4 million views look like, looks like for the year 2021. But maybe this is a dumb question, but perhaps it's on some of our listeners' minds. Why do the numbers matter so much? Why are we as an organization so focused on numbers, on, on the amount of times people see abortion victim photos and the amount of conversations we have and the amount of projects that we do. Why is that such a big thing for us? Well, there's there's a whole bunch of, of reasons why the numbers are so important. Uh, you'll notice that when I was giving you sort of the timeline of CCBR strategy, that it was very important to get proof of concept first. It was very important for us to know what does it mean when somebody sees abortion on a sign, on a truck, on a postcard. And that's why we paid a lot of money to do polling and I only mentioned one of them, but we've done it three separate times now in different years to measure the impact. All of our all of our numbers have been well over 40% in terms of people being impacted significantly on abortion. And so once we could determine that, we had an idea of what it meant for 2 million people or to have 2 million views because we can't ascertain specifically that it's always different people. Um, we knew what that meant, that, okay, this means that X percentage of that is going to shift towards a more pro-life position. And so that's the key reason is just that we can't know whether or not we're effectively scaling up our project and taking uh, our work from an individual on the street impact to a cultural impact, to a social impact. It's also really, really important, I think, for for pro-lifers to treat our work as it is a movement, as in we're moving towards something. And if we never actually try to test where we're at, if we never actually look at the gains that we're making, then we aren't moving towards anything or we certainly can't prove it. And then we grow satisfied with the status quo. You know, we did some good work this year. We changed some minds. We saved some babies. Um, but there's no real accountability to do, to to uh, to treat abortion like the emergency it is. I find it's very easy for us once we're in the groove to just comfort ourselves with the idea that we're doing good work without pushing ourselves to do more, without recognizing year over year that abortion is an emergency. The last uh, point I'd make here briefly before Cam takes over and goes into the numbers in depth is just that the work that that all of us do in in the full-time pro-life movement is funded by thousands and thousands of people across the country. Uh, who work their tails off to make their money and then give some of that precious money to groups like us. And so I see them as shareholders. I see them as investors. And they're investing in a more pro-life Canada. And it's our responsible every year to go back to them and say, here's what the return on your investment was. 
And if we go back year after year and say, well, we went out there and, and we, we talked to some people and we had some good conversations and, and please donate again, that might be good enough for a lot of people. And we wouldn't be lying uh, if we just said, look, we went out and had great conversations. But uh, I, I would expect that, that anybody who's giving money to something is looking at all the various things that they can donate to and saying, well, how do I know that I'm getting the most bang for my buck? Uh, how do I know that I'm donating to an organization that's constantly trying to improve with the most important job in the social sphere that there is, which is saving babies from abortion? So I also feel very keenly accountable to those who lend us their hard-earned money to do this work, to come back to them at the at the end of the year and say, here's how we took your talents and, and we expanded them. And, and even more than that, it's one, that's one of the reasons that so many people are attracted to the work of CCBR as well. That's the reason we can get attendees uh, like we can is because we can show people results and it's encouraging to be part of something that is actually on the move, right? That's not a movement that is stagnant, but a movement that truly is moving. So Cam, let's dive into some of the numbers because you, uh, I mean, you, you're not just, uh, you, you, you don't just hold the prestigious position of being the co-host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, but you're also the Western Outreach Director for CCBR. So you uh, oversee all of the uh, activism and outreach and speaking engagements and, and activities of our Western departments. Um, and so you're very familiar with the numbers and and, and quite, uh, I mean, you've been a part of many of them. So perhaps break down some of what's taken place uh, in C at CCBR this year uh, in our Eastern offices, but also uh, in our Western ones as well. Absolutely. And and to kick it off, a, a huge shout out, and, and we've mentioned this already, um, but a huge shout out to our entire team, Peter. Um, and, and that includes Jonathan, but our entire team of staff, interns and volunteers, because yes, you and I are the ones that get to talk about all the amazing stuff that's happened. Um, but this is through the blood, sweat and tears of countless people across the country making sacrifices day over day over day, um, taking heat not only from the sun, but also from the people that they're interacting with. And let's dive through some of the projects that we did and how often we did them. And so, Jonathan, you mentioned what Choice Chain is, um, showing the reality of what abortion does to a preborn child, um, a three foot by four foot sign standing on a street corner at a public university, at a high school, at a downtown busy area. Um, this is something that allows us to reach hundreds of people per hour, um, viewing the sign and talk to dozens of them as well. And this is something that um, we've been able to do across Canada over 430 times. So we did 332 of them in Eastern Canada, 105 of them in Western Canada. And so you're looking at literally four a week is what we're looking at um, uh, more than that. Uh, sorry, my, my mouth is off, but, but more than like, four or five a week we're looking at here, sometimes eight or 10, depending on the week, depending on the internship. We are out almost every single lunch hour on a street corner somewhere um, in both Western and Eastern Canada, talking to people about abortion, showing the reality of what is happening in our country. Um, and we're going to dive into, again, some of those statistics that we got, not only from the viewing abortion victim photography, but also from the conversations as well. But before we dive into that, it's not just that. So we do that most lunch hours and many afternoons as well. But even before our teams go out to do that, they're out delivering postcards, a, a literature piece that shows both um, a beautiful, naturally developing child in the mother's womb. And then once you open up the pamphlet, they see the reality of what abortion will do to that child at a similar age. On the back, there's an apologetic of not only what abortion is, the legality in Canada and how we can combat it. 
but sites for people to find more information if they themselves had an abortion and are seeking healing or they themselves are pregnant and seeking um, support through whatever it is that they're going through. In Eastern Canada, we delivered more than 160,000 postcards to doors um, across Ontario largely, but I'm sure other areas as well. In Western Canada, we did just under 80,000 postcards out here as well, which is truly incredible um, for anyone who has delivered any kind of mail, whether you're dropping off um, flyers for your local newspaper or whatever. This is a very, very time-consuming thing to do. I know many of our interns were tuning into various podcasts while they're doing it. One focus that I'll dive into again later, uh, a door knocking project. We are those kind of weird people that go door to door, knocking on people's doors, ringing their doorbells and having conversations about abortion. We do this because Jonathan, as you touched on, we have a goal of reaching all Canadians with the reality of what abortion does. And that though we can reach a ton of people when we go to downtown centers and universities and whatnot, obviously not everybody goes downtown. I wouldn't go downtown if it wasn't for activism. And so we want to make sure that we're reaching everybody with this um, very, very important message. And so we literally go door to door talking to people about abortion. In Eastern Canada, they hit about 670 doors. In Western Canada, we reached just under 4,500 doors, um, which is phenomenal. We'll talk more about that. And wrapping it all together, in Eastern Canada, they were able to achieve just over 5,000 volunteer hours of pro-life activism. So uh, not really volunteer hours, I guess. Uh, uh, Just over 5,000 hours of pro-life outreach done by staff, interns, and volunteers in Western Canada. Just over 2,700 hours of pro-life outreach. That is a huge volume of outreach. And while we have one of the largest teams in the country, and and Jonathan, maybe you want to dive in on this as well, we have one of the largest pro-life teams in the country. This team is still made up of just around 20 staff members, both full-time and part-time, and around 20 more interns. And so we had 40 people who were on staff at any given time, plus dozens of volunteers who together achieved just under 8,000 hours of pro-life activism, which is truly incredible. And and Jonathan, just when you think of 8,000 hours of pro-life activism, especially of somebody who... um, I don't know if it's fair to call you a founding father of, of CCBR, but but to compare and contrast 2011 to now, 8,000 hours of, of pro-life outreach, what is that, what would you have thought of in 2011 if somebody told you that this organization would have been able to achieve that? Honestly, like the first time we hit 2 million, I was I was actually kind of in shock. And I shouldn't have been because I was the one who was, you know, selling the strategy and saying we could pull it off. But when we did, I was still like, that is, it's such a huge number. It is, it is absolutely accurate to say, even in just the last couple of years, we have reached more Canadians to the truth about abortion than anybody has in decades. Uh, It's accurate to say uh, that in 2015, we launched the largest political nationwide campaign uh, ever in Canadian history. And these numbers are really enormous. The only reason we can't be satisfied with them, of course, is because Canada is a nation of over 34 million people. and We have to keep on pushing upwards and onwards. And so we don't really have time to rest on our laurels in that sense. But it really, we have just we have been incredibly blessed. And I, I do often think of the providential aspect of this just because, you know, with everything the organization has been through over the last 10 years, there's no good reason. Um, that we're still here. There's no good reason the organization is functioning. Many nonprofits collapse after just a couple of years. And those are nonprofits that were 
a lot more responsible with their money than we were. And by responsible, I mean they saved for a rainy day. And CCBR, especially the first couple of years when we were working our tails off and getting you know proof of concept, we spent everything that came in on signs, on putting people out in the streets. We didn't save anything because we didn't get money to save for a rainy day. We were given money to reach people. And so it really is incredible to see how much the work's been blessed. And it really is providential that CCBR has managed to grow as much as it has. That's amazing. Um, Cam, thank you for sharing those numbers. You did mention the massive increase in doors knocked on and actually going Jehovah Witness style door to door, knocking <laughs> on those doors and asking people what they think about abortion. Um, I think I think we've we knocked like 4000 or so more doors than we have last year, which was uh, the record last year. Uh, but maybe touch a little bit on why we're sort of focusing on doors far more Um you know, as we continue on, why it's such a, a, a big part of the end the killing plan as we sort of evolve and, and work towards that goal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can kind of summarize this. And, and Jonathan, we'll have you back on to, to talk through the entire pyramid of pro-life outreach as we get closer and closer towards um, kind of complete transformation of our society. But in, in Calgary in particular, so as Jonathan mentioned, we've been in Calgary for over 10 years now. And Many people in Calgary have come face to face with the reality of what abortion does on numerous occasions. We have postcarded this city um, at least twice all the way through. I'm sure there's new new developments and communities and whatnot, and people who have moved and all that kind of thing. And so there's still tremendous value in delivering postcards um, summer after summer. And yet, as we're progressing towards a transformed society, we often talk out West here about how there's often three stages of cultural transformation, and they're tied together, but they require a slightly different focus. And we, we think often about how initially we need to provoke a widespread discomfort anchored on the victims of an injustice, and how to tether a meaningful conversation about an injustice at hand People have to know what that injustice is, what it entails. But as that tethering is taking place, the conversation becomes more and more meaningful. And Peter, you and I have seen this, and Jonathan, you can attest to this as well, that when we go into a new community, we just start having conversations. A lot of people have never thought critically about the abortion issue whatsoever. And so it's difficult to have an incredibly fruitful conversation when somebody hasn't thought about this whatsoever, even if they come to nod along and agree with everything that you've said. There's some degree of trepidation when you walk away from their door or leave their campus as to whether or not that's going to stick with them because they've never thought about this before. Who knows what's going to um, come across their mind going forward? Whereas in Calgary, we have exposed the truth about abortion so thoroughly and so successfully that now we're pivoting more and more towards um, really capitalizing on that tethering of conversation. Now that most people have thought about abortion in a much more critical way, maybe they haven't become fully pro-life already. The stats have shown they are likely to be much more uncomfortable with abortion. And yet we have been switching more and more towards a door knocking model that seeks to capitalize on that capital that we've, we've already generated. And so this year, as we mentioned, we've, we've knocked on over 4,000 doors, um, almost 4,500 doors in Calgary, which takes forever uh, for anyone who's done political door knocking or any kind of door knocking. It takes a long time to door knock through a neighborhood. Um, and yet from that, what we found from a sample size of just over a thousand conversations, we've seen that of those who aren't already pro-life, so not counting the people who are pro-life in all circumstances already, of the people who support abortion in any way, 37.4% of those thousand people 
became fully pro-life within the span of a, of a short conversation. 37.4% of people who weren't pro-life already became fully pro-life against abortion in all circumstances within the span of a 5, 10, 15-minute conversation. And, and though those conversations, to be fair, include people who maybe some of them support abortion in all circumstances, maybe some of them only support abortion in a few circumstances, um, what I find encouraging is not only is that close to 40% of people becoming fully pro-life, but on the other end of the spectrum, fewer than 20% of people were just as supportive of abortion at the end of the conversation with no noticeable change um, as they were at the beginning of the conversation. And so less than 20% of people walked away from those conversations still steadfast in their support of abortion. Everyone else is moving um, either fully pro-life, significantly more pro-life, or at the very least getting them critically thinking, you know what, you bring up a lot of really good points. However, um, I, I don't know if I'm quite ready. I'm going to have to research this more. I'm going to have to think about it more. That's a meaningful step. We're not always the harvesters of our crops. Sometimes we're planting the seeds. Sometimes we're watering them. Sometimes, by God's grace, we're able to um, harvest as well. So the the 37.4% number is incredible. You can see many of those testimonies on CCBR's various social media pages and whatnot. Um, but also, it's incredibly encouraging that fewer than 20% of people who aren't pro-life are walking away with no noticeable change from a conversation that we're having. And I, I find that really encouraging and a massive shout out to not only our internship team run by um, both Alex and Danae, but also our our uh, volunteer team run by Quiana, just doing a wonderful job, really, really making door knocking happen. It's nerve wracking initially. Um, and I'm sure many of the those in the audience can appreciate the anxiety that might come up when you walk up to a random stranger's door, go onto their property and ask them about abortion. Um, but believe it or not, it's actually like the most relaxed project I've ever participated in, including like 40 Days for Life and, and Life Janies. Even people are very willing to have a conversation. So that's been phenomenal. Um, but I, I could ramble all day about how awesome our team is and how amazing um, this year has been when it comes to producing these kind of results. But Peter, let's talk a little bit about um, particularly comparing this year to last year, I guess. So but before I do that, I'm just curious um, for Jonathan. So these stats are particularly encouraging and they focus on having the conversations. Now, Jonathan, in your book, Seeing is Believing Why Our Culture Must Face the Victims of Abortion, which people can purchase from our website or from yours, thebridgehead.ca. Um, Appendix 2 talks about uh, the impact of abortion victim photography. And so as we talk about some of the numbers from this year, uh, the amount of people that have seen abortion victim photography, whether it be through our on-the-street projects, our door-to-door -door projects, our truth truck projects, um, or, or whatever else it might be, what do these stats sort of communicate to you in light of the research that we've done? I, I know here um, the one chart says that uh, 66.9% of people who responded to the survey, to the poll that we we initiated, said that they had increased negative feelings about abortion after seeing an abortion image. So just share with us what these stats communicate to you about what's happening in our culture, what's happening in the minds of people as they see these images. No, that's, that's a good question. And I want to dovetail it into what Cam just went over as well. So 
Um, when we're working at re on reaching the whole culture, CCBR has an upside-down pyramid. So you've got the broad side, and then you've got the narrow point. So first, we want everybody in Canada to see the reality of abortion. And then the really labor-intensive work that Cam was just reviewing is we, we want to talk to everybody about abortion. And that's because when people see an image, they have a visceral response to abortion. For some people, it's enough to become completely pro-life right then. Um, but often what it does is it makes them feel negatively about abortion. It makes them dislike it. It may and often is enough for them to cancel an abortion, but they still might have holdouts. They still might, for example, um, have the exception for rape or incest or health of the mother. They, they might need to work through a lot of the tough cases. And that's why showing people uh, the reality of abortion makes huge numbers of people feel more negatively about it anywhere between, you know, the mid 30% all the way up to 67%. We've done different data sets in different places. As I think I've mentioned in discussion with, with you guys before, um, the more immigrant communities are higher towards the 67%, um, the more um, I, I don't know how to put this uh, delicately. So the more the whiter Canadians, the more postmodern uh, European, post-Christian Canadians are far more likely to be down near between 35 and 43 percent, shifting towards a negative view. Um, they're not having kids, though, and the immigrants are. So that speaks well to the future impact of our work. Um, but it's just really interesting to see that what we need to do is first we need to impact them on abortion. We need to expose them to rea the reality of it. We need to wake them up to what it actually is, break that cognitive dissonance between uh, what they think about abortion, what they know about the baby in the womb. And then what we do is basically door knocking is cleanup crew. So you go through the number of times I've knocked on doors where somebody has seen our truck or I've gotten a postcard and will say, oh, you're one of those guys. And you kind of like, hold your breath for a moment, wondering whether or not they're going to be mad. But often you'll find out that the image got them thinking. Um, the image got them a good portion of the way there. And the reason you don't have to have a super long conversation is because you're just cleaning up the exceptions. Um, you're persuading them uh, that abortion is not the right answer to the hard cases and you're moving on. So these are just two separate parts of turning Canada from a pro-choice culture into a pro-life culture. Reach them with the truth, but then you move neighborhood by neighborhood. Uh, there's plenty of military analogies uh, that I could use, but I think you get the picture, right? First, there's sort of the air war, and then you move street by street, making sure that each and every person has not only been exposed to the truth about abortion, but actually has their questions answered. Perfect. All right. One more uh, point for activism, Cam. Uh, it's another project that we do, and I, I really don't want to miss it because we have some phenomenal members of our team participating in it, and that is the truth truck. And so, uh, Cam... Um, I mean, the truth truck uh, has really helped re uh, us reach 4 million views as well um, of reaching people with the truth about abortion, the imagery of abortion. So briefly touch on the truth truck and share with us how many hours our drivers were behind that wheel going through the cities of Canada. Yeah. So the truth truck is is a, an incredibly powerful um, tool that we have. One of our projects where realistically it is simply a, a box bodied truck a, a large moving truck style vehicle that has abortion victim photography on the sides and the rear um angle of it as well so you're engaging vehicle traffic as they're stuck in busy rush hour travel times and and a, again a huge shout out to all those who are driving our truth trucks across canada uh whether that's vanessa whether that's alex or Brittany or jer or hannah um or or i'm sure i'm missing somebody as well but others 
We logged over 860 hours of truth truck driving. And, and again, to bounce off of what Jonathan had said of how important it is to get people thinking about this issue. The longer people ignore the injustice, the longer people can um, not even think about the injustice of abortion, the longer it is going to be to stick around. And so when we get our truck stuck in busy neighborhoods, neighborhoods that um, we have people coming from the downtown core um, at the end of the day, people who haven't picked their kids up from school yet, people who are um, in between work or we're driving around downtown or on busy highways in Toronto and Calgary and Vancouver, wherever it may be. We are allowing them to use their time a little bit more meaningfully. It's not just a time to to listen to the latest murder mystery podcast. It isn't just a time to to tune into your sports talk radio or or the latest hip hop beats that you're you're listening to on your radio, but rather as you're stuck in traffic between job and home, as you're stuck in traffic between job and picking your kids up or whatever it may be, you have the opportunity to think about the greatest injustice in Canadian history that is directly intentionally killing around 100,000 freeborn children every year. And so we get our truck stuck in whatever traffic we can find, um, especially, like I said, in these downtown core areas, and hundreds of hours engaging hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people with the reality of what is happening in our nation. And again, tethering the injustice to the victims of the injustice, priming them either for conversion right then and there. We have had people call in. We have a phone number on the side of the truck. Uh, we've had people call in who said, you know what? I supported abortion until I drove home today and saw your truck. We had somebody who told us at one of our choice chains that their friend who was pregnant and planning on having an abortion, saw the truck, saw the kid that was exactly the same age as her child at that time and chose to cancel her abortion um, appointment, cancel the killing of her child because she saw what that abortion would do to her child. Um, this is a project that allows people to engage with an injustice right here and right now in a time that they're entirely unoccupied. Um, they are not um, trying to crush through meetings. They're not trying to do anything apart from um, bumper to bumper rolling towards their next destination. So huge shout out to our truck drivers. Um, we are always interested in getting more trucks on the road um, in, in different places as well. And so um, this is a huge way for us to build that status quo of discomfort towards the abortion issue. Love it. I'm just going to wrap this up. Um, by highlighting the difference between our outreach numbers this year from last year. So uh, last year, 2020, we, ha we had 484 instances of street-level projects. This year, 589, so over 100 more instances. Most of them were an hour, hour and a half long. Um, last year, we knocked on 1,128 doors. This year, 5,024 doors, so almost a 4,000-door increase. And then last year, we did 5,430 man hours of pro-life outreach. This, this year, 7,400, no, 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 7,747. And last year, we delivered 100 and uh, almost 130,000 postcards. This year, almost 240,000 postcards. So a significant increase. I'm going to transition a little bit to uh, some other parts of our work as well with CCBR especially the work that we do with local against abortion groups, local community community groups doing what we're doing, but but pretty much solely on a volunteer basis. Toronto Against Abortion reached uh, 160,000 views. Hamilton Against Abortion, working with CLC's summer interns and staff, 
reached almost two, uh, 120,000 views. And then other uh, against abortion groups accrued 107,000 views. So that includes Niagara against abortion, Ottawa against abortion, Oxford against abortion, London against abortion, Waterloo region against abortion, and Windsor against abortion. Uh, these these names are fantastic, uh, not unique at all, but certainly do tell the story of what that community group is there for. Um, so um, so that is a a total of um, almost 300,000. Three hundred thousand, um, over three hundred thousand views of abortion victim photos, not by us at CCBR, but by community groups across the country. And so, Cam, could you highlight um, the importance and the vital role that these community groups, these volunteers, play in fighting abortion in Canada? Yeah, the, these are the folks that we try to um, highlight week over week with our Humans of the Pro-Life Movement um, program that we do every Thursday, where we showcase the incredible people across the country that are bringing the truth about abortion to people in their home communities. We've mentioned that we have offices in Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, and the greater Toronto area. But there's a ton of people who don't live in those busy metropolitan centers, right? There's a ton of people who live in... I say smaller communities. It's difficult to uh, to call Hamilton a uh, place with like 600,000 people, a small community, but um, people in large and small communities across Canada, as I mentioned before, we need to reach all Canadians with this message. And so it's not good enough for our organization to only work with people in the biggest of cities. We need to be working with people in all of the cities so they can bring the truth to their um, sphere of influence, whether that's their friends and families, whether that's people living in their community. Um, it's absolutely vital that we have people like these incredible leaders who are taking up um, the, the pro-life cause and mission bringing it to their home community and partnering with CCBR with the support to not only logistically bring effective pro-life activism to their community, but the training, the mentorship, the support they need to ensure that they are there for the long haul as well. And so a ton of respect for those uh, volunteers. I know some of them are, are tuning in here um, to these episodes. Huge shout out to each of you who are involved, whether in a large capacity or small capacity with your community group, profound amount of respect for everything that you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, Cam, that you speak on behalf of every one of us at CCBR with the amount of respect that we have for those volunteers who sacrifice uh, and give up so much of their time to be on the streets when they could be doing uh, far more comfortable things. Jonathan, we've also been expanding uh, with our, our community groups. Now, uh, the community groups have really a, a very loose affiliation with CCBR. They do the same projects but are not run by CCBR. Um, but we're very much involved with some of the training and, and working with them. And we've expanded into a new province, which is a, a challenging province in many ways, which is why we haven't been there before, which is Qu Quebec. Um, found some, some on-the-ground francophone connections. Could you speak briefly into um, what you know about what's going on with Montreal against abortion and the importance of, of expanding east of Ontario and continuing on um, you know, Quebec and the Maritimes as well? Well, it's actually interesting because when we were writing in the end, the killing plan in 2011, we very ex explicitly left uh, Quebec out. And the reason we did that is because we didn't have any Francophone people. You could move to any province in the country, set up an office, get to work. You know, we knew how to do that, but we knew that uh, if, if we were going to uh, uh, reach anyone in Quebec, it would have to be people from there. 
who decided to adopt our our projects to amend our projects so that it would, they would be suited, suited to the francophone community and they would have to take a lead on it right i you know grew up in bc moved to calgary to work for ccbr then moved out east to start the first ontario office um you know cam you started off in bc you're in calgary you run the calgary office so those provinces are all interchangeable but with quebec it was it was much different so um some some francophone pro-lifers reached out our colleague Blaise Elaine has been down there several times now to help train them, to go do activism with them. Uh, and yeah, they've been doing activism in one of Canada's oldest cities. So it's not something that we had expected. It's not even something we planned for. Just providentially, we had uh, people who were interacting with CCBR's projects, were inspired by the work and wanted to bring it to their home province. So really incredibly encouraging and exciting and something I never thought would happen. Yeah, it, it absolutely is exciting. Blaze has been there quite a bit, providing that training, providing that on the ground support, uh, instructing sort of with activism protocol and all of those things. So that has been a wonderful journey to watch. Jonathan, back to you again as we transition to uh, one other segment as well. And that is the speaking portion of CCBR. You're the head of the communications department and one of the speakers on our, our team of speakers here at uh, the Center for Bioethical Reform in Canada. Um, do you have some highlights and some numbers from some of our speaking and engagements that we've participated in over the past year? Well, the, the highlight, to be honest, was just being able to actually do it. Because uh, last year, of course, everything was basically shut down. We went from a, an organization with a growing speaking bureau that was you know, flying to a lot of pro-life groups, even in different countries, um, and getting to do strategy and apologetics with them to you know, not only being restricted to our own country, but not being able to do anything. Uh, so this year we had 99 presentations to 4,600 people, smaller than in years past, but again, uh, really large considering the fact that I was I was actually in high schools this fall. Um, I've got high schools booked for January and February. I've got other talks also scheduled. That was really cool. Uh, Blaze, Elaine, and I, um, we wrote uh, a guide to discussing assisted suicide together, and our colleague Justina Van Manen uh, wrote Stuck, a book that I know you refer to often um, here on the podcast. And so those books are now being used as sort of the apologetic standard um, for Canadian Physicians for Life, which is a phenomenal organization connecting physicians, nurses, midwives, uh, medical professionals of every stripe who in a country where, uh, you know, our elites are very hostile to conscience rights, uh, where it's it's very, very easy to get, you know, social media mobbed for, for holding pro-life views. They connect everybody. They have a mentorship program. Um, where older physicians will, will mentor medical students and kind of help them navigate both medical school and then how to talk about these issues. And so now for the fourth year in a row, Blaze, Elaine, and I have been invited to talk about both assisted suicide and pro-life apologetics. But it's really been an incredible opportunity to work with them because we get to present the easy, workable arguments that, that anybody can use. And we've heard uh, doctors say that these arguments have been so helpful. We've had medical students say, now we know how to talk about this. We have medical students that actually debated these issues formally and used our apologetics to actually win those debates. In one case, actually win over a professor. Um, the, the, uh, the president actually of Canadian Physicians for Life, who was on this podcast, said that the apologetics book on assisted suicide was a triumph, basically because they need simple, easy, workable arguments and CCBR's hours and hours and hours on the street um, have basically lent itself to arguments that can be used pretty much anywhere by anybody. So that, that that's that's really what CCBR brings to the table. I've said before, and I know you guys think this too, I don't even think the human rights argument, some of the arguments we use are the best. 
arguments against abortion. I think abortion's wrong because it kills a baby created in God's image. I bring a whole bunch of theological and philosophical views to the table on the issue. But what we're oriented towards are what are the most effective arguments to persuade people out of killing their babies, out of believing it's okay to kill babies, um, or in the case of assisted suicide, to kill themselves. And those arguments that we were using on the streets are now also being used by uh, by physicians, midwives, doctors, med students, and they're having a, a real impact there, which is, again, just really encouraging, and we're very grateful for the opportunity to do that. Yeah, and not only that, um, like the other day, I was speaking to a, a small youth group at a local church, and um, I mean, they weren't doctors, hopefully future doctors and lawyers and all of that. And I think you can say the same, Cam, and I know many of our colleagues as well, is that even just those really small engagements, those really small meetings are special because we're able to communicate some of the things that we've learned about pro-life apologetics so that everyone from, from doctors to nurses to, to midwifery, midwifery students, all the way down to just your regular folks at churches who never think about this ever, are able to communicate the truth about what abortion does to people in an effective way. And so, I mean, like so many of these these, these talks and these engagements are special. That's a great transition uh, that you helped me with, um, Jonathan, about the importance of apologetics to dive into the work of the podcast, the podcast, the Pro-Life Guys podcast, which you've been listening to time and time again and sharing with your friends and family and subscribing to and, and giving us these five-star reviews. Thank you so much for that. Um, but that's what this podcast is dedicated to as well, is giving people the tools that they need, be it conversational tools or otherwise, to change minds, to save lives, and to work towards the ultimate transformation of our culture. And so I'm going to give a brief uh, sort of numbers crunch uh, about what's happened here at the podcast. And Cam, you can, you can add on to um, whatever I might miss or whatever comes to your mind as well. So this year, 2021, we will have completed 104 episodes. Uh, as our colleague and producer, Maddie Halleck says, uh, now we're officially real podcasters. So thanks, Maddie, for that. Um, and then the download slash view slash listen total for uh, 2021 has been 42,750. 42,750 times our, our episodes, our content have been downloaded. They've been viewed. They've been listened to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you guys are listening to this content. And for that, we are particularly grateful, not just that our, our voice is, is making, it, making it into your earbuds, but that we're able to share with you some of the street-tested, some of the time-tested apologetics that we've learned, some of the news from the abortion war, and the tools that you need to be that effective pro-life ambassador Cam, you also just finished one apologetic course, which was a, a personal, uh, not one-on-one because I think you had 10 people or so in the group, um, but apologetic course where you just interacted with other pro-lifers who joined and uh, were able to train them in a more formal way. Um, maybe share with some of the highlights with that and anything else that comes to your mind in light of the podcast over the last year. Yeah, so the I'm glad that you mentioned that stuck uh, book study course. We did a, a five part book study on that book that you mentioned earlier by Justina Van Manen. Um, we had I think there were six people registered for it. Not everyone was able to join for all of the episodes, but made some real cool connections with people across Canada. We even had one um, young woman from Argentina join us and and talk about her perspective on things and. That's what this podcast is all about, equipping people with the tools that they need to have meaningful conversations about abortion, regardless of what stage of life they're in, whatever season they're in, whether it's conversations on street corners or at your dinner table, whether it's on some random person's doorstep 
or talking with a coworker about abortion. We want to give you the tools that you need. And it's crazy to think that this is our first full year of podcasting, Peter. You and I started just over a year and a half ago, um, which is wild. Uh, Jonathan's going to chuckle at me when I say this because Jonathan's been podcasting for, what, five years now, I think. Um, for anyone who doesn't know Jonathan's podcast, check out The Bridgehead or, sorry, The the Van Maren Show hosted on LifeSite News, um, bridgehead.ca. You can get it as well. Um, this has been a wild ride of a year, not only because we had some of the coolest guests ever come on, but because, Peter, I, I think I can probably speak for both of us that we both realized just how fun, but how much work a podcast is, right? I'm pretty sure that I read at least 20 books for the podcast this year, which Jonathan, again, would chuckle at because I'm sure he's read at least double that, if not more, uh, prepping for his podcast. But talking to people like um, Stephanie Gray Connors, a, a good friend of mine that we've mentioned before, people like Scott Klusendorf, people like Mark Crutcher from a couple weeks ago, um, the pro-life hero that I never knew that I had, um, we have talked to some of the coolest people in the pro-life movement, people who have dedicated their lives towards this mission. And not only the big and famous, if you can call anybody in the pro-life movement big and famous, but talking with the people on the uh, Humans for Pro-Life movement as well has been an absolute blast getting to meet these people in small towns and, and big cities across Canada and around the world and learning about what they're doing and their passion for life. It has been so cool to develop this content and really kind of set ourselves out there. One of the coolest things that I, I have ever experienced when I was door knocking in High River, Alberta, I knocked on a door and um, the woman who answered said, do you know the Pro-Life Guys podcast? And I was like, uh, I'm one of the guys on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And she was like, are you serious? I listen to you guys every week. This is so cool that you're at my door. This is somebody that I'd never met before, but who was familiar with the podcast before um, she even had a door knocked on. And so that, that was pretty cool. Um, we've had a few people who have who have become volunteers after connecting with the podcast. Um, so that's super cool because that's what it's all about, right? It's easy for us as pro-lifers to make this into just an abstract numbers game as well. But as we've talked about time and time again, the, the abstract numbers have to connect with concrete people if this is going to mean anything. If we're going to stay in this for the long haul, if we're going to continue pressing forward as effectively as possible, it needs to be able to connect on the individual level, not only to the preborn children who are at risk of death every day, but also with the individual volunteers who are actually knocking on doors, delivering pamphlets, and having conversations with people. And so um, it, it's been such a, a cool ride this year talking to many of the coolest people, whether you would recognize their name or not. If you haven't tuned into all of our episodes, particularly the Humans of the Pro-Life Movement episodes, please check them out because this is the true face of the pro-life movement. This isn't some um, super... I mean, it's more sophisticated than you would think, but it's also less sophisticated than you would think. I, um, you probably heard the argument for God's existence of there is the music of John Sebastian Bach, therefore there is a God. As Jonathan, you mentioned earlier, the fact that CCBR continues to exist, the fact that we are saving babies, that we are changing minds with the broken um, but lovely people across the country is, is truly a testament towards the goodness of our God. And so um, it, it's been cool. What stands out to you though, Peter? Uh, yeah, the, I mean, all those things stand out. Some of the, the conversations that we've had have stood out, but I think of two testimonies right off the top uh, that were shared with me from some of our listeners. I think of Olivia who reached out, said she hasn't been able to do outreach for a little while, but listening has kept her sharp. 
and kept the apologetics, the arguments fresh in her mind during her period of inactivity. Um, so really able to, to help her with the apologetics. I think of our, our mutual friend, Virginia, who uh, heard about the podcast. She said, uh, um, listening to the podcast helps to cement the arguments and to go a little bit deeper as well. She learned about CCBR through the podcast. And she said, I should add, it's the reason I got involved with CCBR in the first place. She joined us for an internship and now is going to, from the last that I've heard, commit her time full-time to working in the pro-life movement, to ending the, the slaughter of pre-born children. And so being able to see some of the impact of the podcast in that area as well has been uh, tremendously humbling um, as, as we're able to, to reach people every single week with the message uh, that we are, with the good apologetics, and seeing people use that for good. Now, as we wrap this up, Jonathan and Cam, those are some of the stats, some of the numbers from our year here at CCBR. There are other projects as well. There's things we could are looking forward to for 2022, God willing, in terms of books, in terms of other projects and, and other things. There are other, other work that we do as well. Jonathan, you uh, spent a lot of time on the bridgehead.ca. That's another project of CCBR. But as we look at the numbers, as we look at the stats, as we looked at the things that have been accomplished by our teams across the country, by the volunteers that we work with across the country, and then not even considering some of the other organizations that we, we have close ties with that do similar work that we didn't talk about today. I wonder, Jonathan, maybe you could, you could kick us off with uh, giving us a message of thanks. So perhaps to our financial partners, to the volunteers, to God, um, you know, what comes to your mind as a sort of the grat, you know, what, what sort of uh, mentality or attitude of gratitude comes to your mind as we reflect on the things that have, have been done this year? Yeah, well, back to one of your previous questions about what do these numbers mean? Well, when we talk about thousands of man hours of activism, uh, keep in mind, that's people who are going door to door. Um, imagine going knocking on someone's door and asking what they think about abortion. Um, it's not as nerve wracking as it needs to be, but I think most people would recognize it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's not an easy thing uh, to do, especially for the first time. I, I have to remind myself, I had, I had somebody accuse me once that my comfort zone was outside the comfort zone because I'm, I'm so used to this after, after 10 years now, but it's, it's really difficult for people to do this. And so I want to thank all of those who decided to step outside of their comfort zone because they knew the babies were worth it. Uh, I think all these numbers are a testament to the fact that that was worth doing, uh, that there are children alive, that their minds and lives have been transformed uh, because you were willing to do so. And of course, to all of those uh, who committed their money, which is another form essentially of activism. I see these people as partners as well, because none of us could do what we were doing if they weren't doing that, right? There are farmers who work long hours and who will never knock on a door who are ensuring that doors are knocked on by donating their hard-earned money to us so that we can buy the postcards, so that we can train the volunteers, so that we can get out there ourselves. And so uh, those numbers should be seen as the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it's always funny because the abortion activists in Canada like to speculate where we get our money from, especially uh, the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. And they don't believe the answer. I keep on giving it to them. They will accuse me on Twitter, like, where does CCBR get its money? I'm like, thousands of individual donors, um, the vast majority of them, um, almost all of them Canadian. Uh, it's farmers, it's you know business people, uh, and, and over 80% of it's very small numbers. It's just people who really care. And, and because that seems so unrealistic to them, because they can't fathom that that many Canadians um, would care so deeply about this issue, they would give their hard-earned money to an organization they consider to be crazy and extremist. 
um, they, 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 they keep on looking. The search continues. The search for our uh, foreign funding sources continues. And it's just, it's amusing because the reality is the numbers we've gone over uh, on this podcast today just represents thousands of Canadians um, who care as deeply as those who are knocking on doors. So yeah, thank you to to the supporters, to the volunteers, and to everybody who stepped outside their comfort zone for the babies this year. Yeah, and, and that ties perfectly into what I was going to say and, and definitely echo that, those sentiments when it comes to gratitude towards in that angle. Uh, we, we've talked, obviously, a lot about activism um, through this podcast, as an activist organization is wont to do, I suppose. Um, but uh, a huge shout out to our, our admin and fundraising team. We have these incredible heroes who are working behind the scenes to make this all possible. We have people like Loretta and Carolyn and and Micah and Charmaine and um, Brittany and and I'm sure countless others. Rose, um, who's helping with the the Vancouver Initiative, Kena and Kateri and and Michael and and so many others. Um, uh, Nick Rosendahl, a president of CCBR, who's very seldomly on a street corner, but keeping this entire organization rolling so that a whole bunch of people with very limited um, formal training are able to make such a profound difference. And so this is, it's incredible what, what is happening. Um, and, and a big shout out to our staff, because Jonathan, you talked about comfort zone and a lot of people think that the staff working for CCBR are probably these, these like crazy radical gung-ho people who want nothing more than to go into a group of people and pick a fight with them. And as we've showcased time and time again, um, the people who work for CCBR are some of the meekest and mildest and um, just most wonderful, beautiful people that you can imagine not only those that don't come on the show, but like I'm, I'm going to blow Jonathan's cover here for a quick sec, because I know that he's had to jump out to a phone call, but I've had more conversations with Jonathan about poetry than I have about any kind of, of um, protest or, or anything like that. Jonathan is such a softy. Um, Peter, you and I have, have talked chess and baseball and all these other things. And there's so many things that, um, go on behind the scenes of a whole bunch of incredible softies that are all just so passionate about protecting preborn children. So a huge shout out to the staff at CCBR in whatever capacity you're in. Please never doubt for a second how valuable, how important you are. Not not to me, not to Peter, not to Jonathan, to preborn children, to preborn children who desperately need you and their lives are depending on it and you deliver day after day after day when you don't feel like it, when you have a hard time doing so, when anxiety and and um, doubt and all sorts of other hindrances maybe be trying to pull you away from making these sacrifices. Thank you for everything that you have given this year, in the years before, and Lord willing, in the year to come. And one final note of thanks. Uh, we, we need to thank our good God for the opportunity to do this work, for the tools that are necessary to do this work, for the strength to go on when the going gets tough, uh, because there are days uh, where the going does get tough. And I know uh, some of our interns and some of our staff members can attest to this, uh, that there are days that you just feel like giving up. And so a uh, uh, huge thanks to our God for uh, the work that has been done and the progress that he is helping to um, just really see come to fruition with the work that we're doing. Well, folks, this is the end of this episode. This is the final episode for the year 2021. We uh, are grateful that you've tuned in. We've, we're grateful that you've shared this with your friends, with your family, um, and that you've been part of this journey with us. 
We want to wish you a, a wonderful last few days of 2021 um, and, uh, and, and a good beginning of 2022. I, I try not to make fluffy wishes and all of that, but uh, do have a, a, you know, a blessed uh, transition into the new year and, and a, a good beginning to the new year uh, as we seek to continue our fight against abortion, to continue to protect and defend preborn children. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. This is Cam. Jonathan has just stepped out for a minute, so we won't be hearing from him at the end of this episode. But that is Cam, the wonderful co-host who has who has really carried us along in so many ways when my tongue was tied and I had no idea what to say throughout this year. And so uh, particularly grateful to you, Cam. And uh, we're, we're grateful for you tuning in. Cam, I don't know if you have any final things that you would like to share uh, as we as we close this up. Uh, uh, shout out to you as well. And this isn't just because you paid me the favor. You're, you're the real brains behind this. You lay on all of our show notes and line up so many of our interviews and all that. So huge shout out to you as well. Lastly, next week, we are going to be doing our second round of new year's resolutions. We've got some real cool stuff coming down the tube that we'd love to invite you to be a part of. We've got some exciting announcements about content and programming that we're going to be doing. Um, and so tune in next week for, um, a, a really exciting, really cool way to kick off your 2022 so stay tuned for that my name is peter as i said i don't need to say that again you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter you can reach out to us with any thoughts that you might have you can also check us out and find a full back catalog of our episodes on our website prolifeguys.com prolifeguys.com you can reach us there for anything i mean there's a contact form if you want us to speak to your church or if you have a suggestion for the podcast if you have a guest suggestion or whatever else it might be do reach out to us there we love connecting with our listeners we love connecting with you and uh yeah once again thank you for taking this journey with us and we look forward to meeting with you again in the new year god bless you all